This is a podcast from Cambridge Assessment. For more downloads, visit cambridgeassessment.org.uk. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Uh, welcome to this, which is the first of our seminars for 2011, which is in our current uh, issues and assessment series. Um, I'm Paul Newton from the Cambridge Assessment Network Division. Um, today's seminar is going to be led by Eva Poon-Scott from the University of Sussex. Um, we're very pleased to be able to welcome you to Cambridge, Eva. Um, Eva is studying for a doctorate in the School of Education and Social Work at Sussex and um, her work focuses on the impacts of assessment and particularly high-stakes examinations on teaching and learning. Uh, Eva's got plenty of experience in high-stakes examinations because before she started her DPhil studies, uh, she was uh, Deputy um, Director General of the Hong Kong's Examinations and Assessment Authority. Uh, which is a post she held since the mid-90s. So a lot of useful experience to draw on there. Um, So Eva, we're very pleased that you can join us today and we very much look forward to hearing your research on research and A-levels. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you, Paul. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, First of all, thank you all for coming. I first gave this presentation at an international conference in Bangkok last August. Um, Same as for all the other presenters, I was given 20 minutes to talk, and it was quite a rush. So today, uh, I will speak more slowly and hopefully more clearly. I have also added a few more slides to amplify my points. One thing about an international audience is um, that not everybody appreciates the significance of receipts in A-levels. So hopefully today, after the presentation, we can have an active uh, discussion Oops. Oh dear. <laughs> uh, I won't go into the background so much, but there are four points I want to highlight. First is A-levels are high-stakes examinations. I can't sort of uh, say more about this high-stakes nature as you will see later in the presentation. And secondly, receipts are optional. There's no limit, no penalty. Um, the um, cap on the number of receipts was taken off by QCA in 2003. And then in 2007, they did a research, and based on the findings of that review, they decided to continue with the receipt, um, limitless receipt rule. Now, uh, over the past 10 years, the A-level results have been improving steadily, uh, significantly year after year. And many believe that the receipt policy is the main reason for this. Um, When I first started my interest in A-level receipts, I read the uh, 2007 QCA review report, right? And in it, it said, with the best results always being counted, there is no gamble associated with receipting units. So I wonder, you know, is there anything to lose, you know? so, So I wanted to research more into it. And I looked up other websites. This second quotation here is actually from an awarding body. Uh, it's uh, where it gives information for candidates about A-level receipts. It was there in 2007. It's still there. I recently checked it was still there. But if, if I say it, like, although it can feel like it, underachieving an exam is not the end of the world. Resitting is a real possibility giving you the chance to get the grades you want or need. To me, it sounds very commercial. It 
doesn't sound like being written by an assessment people. It sounds more, more like written by PR people. And when I read these messages, I thought, what about other factors? What about effects on student learning? And that's what started the interest. Oops. Can't click it. <laughs> Next. Um, okay, methodology. The ontological properties of A-level results are more complex than just a student's resitting exam. Now, to start with, um, the student's reset action is related to their views or understanding about the system, um, how they you know, think about resets, their exam experiences, and so on. The student's reset decision can be influenced by his school or college, which has his own culture or values and social interaction, social processes. Even the examinations themselves are not all about system. They are also about people's perception, views, and understanding. As others have commented before, exam results are social facts. So in other words, people's knowledge, views, understanding, and so on, form a very significant component of, of the ontological properties of A-level resets. And one way, as far as I'm concerned, to learn about the reset phenomenon is through people's accounts. Now, I can easily find out from uh, media reports and survey studies what policy makers think about resets, what educationalists, what schools, what teachers, or even what university admissions tutors think about resets. But there's very little information about what students think about resets, how they do it, what, what, you know, what practices do they do. So the research is largely based on learners' experience, Now, the research was conducted on three colleges and schools in England. One is a sixth form college, another one a FE college, and the third one is an independent school with a sixth form sector. Uh, participation was voluntary. It's based on close setting and overt access. All the participants knew in advance what the objective of the research was about. I used a student questionnaire. There were 267 participants, um, followed by interviews, I will come back to the interviews in a minute. I also interview the teachers and college supervisors. They provide sort of like uh, teaching as well as pastoral care perspectives. I also interviewed the university uh, missions tutors. All these interviews were done by me or semi-structured, recorded, transcribed. Each transcript was then used as a unit of analysis going through quite a tedious process of coding in order to identify the um, emerging themes. Um, now, the student interviews, I interviewed them three times um, based on Seatman's three interview methods and Alfred Show's time span of action theory. Um, the, the questionnaire were conducted in October, and then I saw the students first time in November. The idea was to get to know them better, see what they understand about resets, and basically why do they resit or choose to resit. And then I met them again in February after they set the examination. So um, I wanted to know how they prepared for the examinations, what was the examination like, what kind of support their school or college gave them. And the third interview was after they got the results, and that took place in April. 
And the whole idea was for them to reflect on their research experience and also on sixth form education as a whole. Now, the analysis and findings, obviously the findings were related to my, my research questions. And sometimes research questions are likened to, be, to sort of like throw a film onto a screen with a center picking out your focus of your research. And obviously the focus of this research, right there in the center, is the student's research action. Why do they research? How did they do it? And what happened? You know, did they improve or not? That sort of analysis. When the lens was zoomed out a bit, then you have this picture of the students learning in the classroom. And the analysis was on how students make use of research in sixth form. And then when the lens zoomed out a little bit more, you have the whole two years of sixth form coming into the, your view. And the analysis was on what's the purpose of A-levels and how do research feature in them. And finally, when the lens zoomed all out, then you have the view of the whole learning career of students. Obviously, I do not have sufficient data to you know, in investigate the whole learning career. But uh, past research, other research has indicated that the way students behave or tackle a challenge or, or approach a, a, a task is often preconditioned by the way they behaved before, by their past practices, by their learning habits or their learning dispositions. And that's how I analysed it. Today I'll be focusing on the first three. I won't have enough time for the fourth one, but I have included a um, couple of slides to talk about the outcome, just to complete the picture. Now, in the QCA report, it says, to a certain extent, a student can be expected to have a go at resitting. Now, common sense tells us that resist can be a waste of time and effort if the students do not understand what research is all about. So here, there are eight areas about research action I want to talk about. I'll go through them one by one. That's why I need a whole hour. The first one, knowledge of research. Now, the students were asked four questions on the questionnaire about research rules, and they answered on average three out of four correctly. Interestingly, most of the wrong answers were with the first two. How many number of times can you reset or how many number of units you can reset? They don't all know about that, but they, most of them know about this pen, penalty-less reset rule. There's no penalty, and also they know that they have to pay for the reset. Now, from the interviews, uh, my impression was that um, there was not a very clear set of guidelines given to the students. And most teachers, um, particularly at the beginning of the sixth form, uh, were very hesitant, reluctant to talk about research in case the students took um, a lax attitude. But from the student interviews, it's very clear they all know about research anyway, probably from the wide pub publicity or from their seniors and so on. But they weren't briefed properly about the rationale behind the research system. And many of them just saw research as convenient uh, ways to improve results. Now, I... I use a lot of quotations in my presentation um, because I feel that, you know, while I'm giving you the summary, quotations do bring to life what the students or the teachers, you know, or others think. So I use different colored codes. The top one, sort of like bluish green or 
I mean, greenish blue, Cambridge blue anyway. Um, it's, about, it's from uh, college supervisors. The blue ones are from teachers, and the brown ones are students. Um, the college supervisors tend to be very reticent about talking about their policies. They mainly said, well, it's down to the students, it's optional, it's up to the students, and they get advice from the teachers and so on. And the first time teachers mention research usually is after the students have taken their first examination. The last quotation I think sums up the um, picture quite well. The student said, I think the staff try to keep the research system under their thumb. They don't want to tell you too much in the first few months because they obviously want you to try and do well. If they're like, ah, oh, you could research, then you will take a back seat and don't bother really, do you? Now... <clears throat> 2007 review report in the QCA review suggested about a third reset. A more recent survey suggested more than half. Certainly from my research, based on those three colleges, I must admit, the reset uh, proportions are much higher, and multiple resets are not uncommon. I asked the students about their views about resets, whether they think that it's fair on the questionnaire. Now, 94%, the majority thought it was fair. They gave their reasons. I grouped them under, what, seven categories. And most of them simply say uh, students deserve to be given a second chance. But interestingly, they use words like deserve to be or should be given a chance, second chance or need to be given a second chance. Most of them did not give a reason, but others gave more specific reasons like A-levels are much harder than GCSE, A-levels are very important, and so on. Um, on average, generally speaking, the students found the reset decision very easy. More than half of them decided to reset straight away after the AS results in August. And then of the remaining, I think about 13% decided during the summer and then the rest at the start of year 13. I asked them to rate uh, different aspects of the reset decision. You can see it's not difficult, it's not hard decision. It did not take them long. It, they did not have to consider many factors, all below three, and um, uh, like a scale one to five. Um, I asked the student to give their reasons for resetting, and, um, and I grouped their the, the reasons under, again, seven categories, very roughly. Most of them simply stated that they want to improve their results or they weren't happy results, and others were more specific. Um, encouragingly, nearly 10% um, said they can do better. That's a good reason, I suppose, uh, for resetting. I also asked the students this time to rate an, um, different factors in terms of importance in their reset decisions. Um, notice here, the time double clash had the lowest rating. Um, from the uh, interviews, the students said to me that they wouldn't think twice about missing a class if they have to reset. Okay, the second one rated not too high is uh, exam fees, and I want to say a few words here. Now, sometimes you read in reports that uh, receipts are not fair because students have to pay for them, and it's not fair for the students from poorer families. The students, as you can see, uh, did not rate this very high. I think of the participants in the questionnaire. About 20% were students with EMA, 
with education allowance, maintenance allowance, their rating was about three. I think it's 3.01 or something like that. The others, um, without EMA, their rating was 2.5. So you can see the, the, it's not a big factor for them in considering whether to resit or not. When I talked to them in the interview, uh, many of them thought, you know, gave me the impression that, well, the unit fees are not very high and their parents are quite happy to pay for them. If their parents are not paying, they themselves are quite happy to pay for them uh, because most of them work part-time anyway. I did um, uh, ask the students about this fairness. What about poorer students? And one student said to me, well, you know, if uh, receipts is so important to them, they could easily take some money out of their £30 EMA and, you know, pay for the receipts. Now, that is the attitude of the students, okay? The thing is, what's most important to all of them are these three. The importance of improvement, the chances of improvement, and the effect on university application. And these three take precedence over other concerns such as revision time, exam pressure, or time for A2, and so on. I also asked the students to rate different factors in terms of what they thought were important to university in selecting candidates. All were rated very high, but obviously the highest was A-level grades. And then now I asked the student on the questionnaire to write down specifically what kind of uh, advice their teachers gave them individually as to whether to resit or not. And I grouped their answers roughly into seven categories again. Um, now, unfortunately, not all the advice were very constructive. About 40% were roughly like none, not too much. Uh, simply agreed or let the student decide or uh, just told the students to reset but gave no details. Um, that uh, picture is also found in the interviews. I'll, I'll come to that later. Now, I tried to compare the students' reason for resetting and their own descriptions of the teacher's advice. Now, <laughs> the pattern is very clear to me. Seriously, and the pattern is very clear to me that lower-achieving students tend to get less than sufficient advice. Now, that's, that's the original grade, of course, of the subject. But there are you know, one or two exceptions, like the middle ones here. Both students got C in the original result, and both want to do better, and one said, not much advice. The other one said, the teacher said, I should because I can do better. But the pattern... The emerging pattern is very clear. Lower achieving students, depending on their original results, tend to get flimsier advice. And I'll you know, say more about giving you an example in the interviews as well later. Now, the seven areas about supporting receipt preparations. Now, receipt, I can't emphasize it more, are optional, right? and may be seen by some teachers as extras outside their normal duties. I talked to the teachers about this. They're very candid and honest. That, like this um, teacher, she told me that in her subject department, some people think it's vital to have revision sessions for resitors as exam results are important, right? But other half think it's actually not our job that they're resitting. It's up to them. Otherwise, we're giving them the wrong message. Now, generally speaking, the students said they have to ask for advice specifically when it comes to receipt. And 
most of the time, the help will be just be by giving pass-pass question paper and marking scheme to do on their own and check their answers. Now, I don't like that practice. I'll come back to it later to tell you why. Um, so not a lot of support in receipt preparation, put it that way. Receipt results, I think there's sufficient evidence um, to show that students are able to improve their result in receipt. Um, but the more interesting question is how? So I wanted to find that out, and um, I identified a number of areas. I grouped them into four here, and I'll go through them now. The first one is that students underestimated the demands of A-levels. According to teachers, even though, well, that's what they told me, even though exam boards are trying to get AS uh, difficulty closer to GCSE, but still it's a big step up. And many of the students um, going into sixth form probably have done quite well in GCSE, and a lot of them with very little effort. So, so for them, it's like, okay, you know, not can't be that difficult. So you can say perhaps their first attempt, um, they underperformed because they did not perform to their true potential. And that's why when they reset, they, were mani they managed to improve. This next area is about experience. Obviously, one of the uh, strong features of a modular approach is feedback. So by talking to the teachers afterwards about the performance in the exam, and some even went further by asking for the papers back, the students then managed to identify the areas they were weak at, and then they improved in the receipt. But it's also the experience of the exam that helped. This, this first quotation here, it said, it just shocked me a bit how much you are expected to write in the time, so I'll be a bit more prepared for it in the receipt. Now, to me, I mean, you know, you might assume that students know about time, you know, the question structure from doing past question papers or from mock exams. But according to the students in the interview, they, they said, well, the live exams mean so much more to them. They didn't take mock so seriously or doing past papers at home and so on. The third one, of course, about exam pressure particularly for students who have already got a, a reasonable grade, you know, a safe one they can park. So when they get into the reset, they're more relaxed. Sometimes, you know, when you're more relaxed, you can improve. Mind you, uh, there are some exceptions. A couple of the students, the lower achievers, told me that they feel, you know, the same, if not slightly more pressure when they went into the reset because they didn't do so well in the first attempt. They were afraid to fail again. So it may not always help sometimes. <coughs> the third area is about resist being taken later in the course. Now, QCA Review calls it the maturation benefit. They use uh, French as an example, like you improve language over time of more practice and so on. The teachers gave similar examples like psychology. Some of them get it instantly, and others will take a year. They still don't get it. Or mathematics. It's purely great familiarity and so on. Um, I talked to the students about, you know, this. I, I want to identify exactly how they improved, right? And roughly there are three areas. The first one is about subject knowledge. When the students um, did the A2 in year 13, they learned the subjects um, either from a different perspective or at a more difficult level or sometimes synoptically 
all these three will help the students understand the, a, the AS earlier, the earlier AS units uh, better, and so they improve in the research. The other thing is about skills, you know, like essay writing, evaluation skills. I mean, more practice, obviously, you know, you improve that. And the third one, about this one, about organization and um, timing, this is more to do with exam techniques then how do you organize yourself, how do you watch the time, and so on. So it's roughly these three areas, according to the students. Finally, um, the students improve because of uh, clearer goals and more motivation. Um, when the students started 13, year 13, many of them suddenly realized half of their sixth form years have gone. You know? And then by January, most of them have got some kind of conditional offers and so they have a clearer goal. They know what kind of grade requirements they need to meet. And then they would put more effort into the exams, including the uh, resets. Now, just a, a, a word about the improvement. I often read in reports in the media saying, oh, well, um, A-level, I mean, the resets, of course, the cost for the grade inflation for A-levels. You know, when students are allowed to sit and resit examination, of course they will get better. Now, that is what I call, you know, the great inflation, according to, you know, you get better at taking examinations. I think the implication is there is no correspondence improvement in competence, in, you know, the standards being raised. But as I just mentioned in the analysis, actually sometimes students do get better at their subject knowledge and skills. So to me, it's a bit of both. It's not just them improving because they keep on taking exams. They also improve because they have more practice, they understand the subject more, and so on. It's very easy to dismiss uh, efforts by teachers and students, I think, but um, I think we have to um, be fair. Now, when I talk to the students about sixth form education, um, they generally uh, gave me the impression that at the start, they started sixth form with high hopes and excitement. They were proud to be going into sixth form, particularly this is the academic route, right, doing A-levels. And then, of course, sixth form, there's a new learning environment. They have more freedom. They have more freeze. They're given more responsibility. Um, you know, they, they're more responsible to do their own research outside the classroom or even organizing their own Christmas activities, you know, that kind of responsibility. And then, of course, the teacher-student relationship is less formal. One student said to me, the teachers treat us more like adults now. So, and finally, of course, it's the satisfaction of choosing your own subject. One of the aims of uh, Curriculum 2000 Reform is to broaden the, the range of subjects in sixth form, right? And without going into you know, this debate whether some subjects are sof softer subjects than others, this range, a wider range of subjects, uh, did help some of the students in the interview choose their subjects, and they don't always go for the traditional subjects which they may or may not like. All the colleges run trial classes, and that was very useful, and they were happy with their subjects. But on the whole, though, this uh, period of uh, high hopes and excitement seemed to be rather short-lived. Very soon, the students were given minimum expected grades, and the rest of the sixth form was spent sitting and resitting examinations. Let's review what the objective of the reset policy. 
Now, we all know that public examinations have their limitations because they measure the performance of students in a sample of a defined syllabus at a specified duration of time under controlled conditions. What should be, what ought to be about this receipt policy is that they provide a mechanism to rectify situations where students are unduly um, disadvantaged in one of exam settings, right? But what actually happens, what is, is that the original purpose of resist is buried under the second chance mentality and this strategy of playing to the system as students and teachers try to make full use of um, resist. So how, how do they make use of the resist? There are six areas here. Not all of them are positive, I must say. Some rather negative, actually. <clears throat> First, minimum expected grades. Now, in general, students are given this uh, at near the start of um, sixth form. I think there are two systems, is it ELBS or ALIS, some systems that most schools use. Now, these minimum expected grades, I find, have both advantages and disadvantages. Advantages, of course, is that they give a common goal for both students and teachers. And then, of course, the colleges and the teachers also use them to monitor, to track the performance of the students. The disadvantage is that they're fairly mechanical. They're based on past, ex past examination performance. Not a lot about potentials. It depends on the teachers, of course, but very mechanical, basically. And some students who say those who did very well in GCMA become complacent. And then there's this receipt culture to meet the targets. And it's often just the minimum target. As this um, college supervisor said, it's not really an aspirational grade. So the bottom one, um, he said, we've got this uh, target minimum grade of the students to guide us what they should be achieving. If it's below that, yes, take a receipt. That is the, you know, um, practice. This next one is taking exams early. Now, earlier I mentioned that some students may have underperformed in the first attempt because they weren't ready. And often it's because they were registered, entered for the exams early. Now, of those three colleges, one actually has an early exam policy. And the other two, they left it more to their subject departments. Now, this policy, as they explained to me, were more to do with like giving the stronger students a chance to just finish with the you know, easier ones, and then they focus their energy on the more difficult units later. And then, of course, at the same time, for the weaker ones, they can use the exam as a rehearsal, you know, gain the exam experience, and also it allows them more chances to resit. But having talked to the teachers and students, I don't think it works as well as they think it would. Um, I think it did more um, damage to lower achievers than the good it does uh, uh, for the uh, stronger candidates. Uh, about uh, student morale, like the second quotation here, you know, I got B and a C last January, and it's sort of like, why did I get a B and a C? I'm not sure I put effort in, but now I've done the research, I realize I just didn't know enough then. She's all right, she, she managed to, you know, pick herself up and then and, and do the research and, and improve it. But not everybody's like that. Some may become dispirited, this last quotation is from the teacher. I don't like early exams. I think it's disruptive to teaching, 
It doesn't allow formal and good understandings, a bit of taste of it in the study, to know how to do the exam. I don't like it, but the positive side is they have the exam experience. Which one is more important? I don't know. Having the exam experience or not having the teaching rushed. This third area is quite important. It's um, about research strategies. The teachers and students seem to talk a lot about research strategies. Now, this first quotation from the teacher is actually very long. I'm just giving you some of it um, to highlight the, the situation. We've got this grid system that has got all the UMS points, and like an AS and A grid, and we write their scores in each model and work out the maths and decide whether they should reset or not, and we do it throughout the year. Similarly, the students, when they talk about reset strategies, it's not like what naively I might think, oh, I think I can improve in this area. You know, my reset strategy is to focus on areas which I think I can improve. No, it's all about sums, working out the maths. Is it near a grey boundary or what? Now, as I mentioned earlier, not uh, all students get uh, very good support. Um, low achievers in the interview certainly found it harder to decide whether to, res to, re to resit or not, and they did not think that they had clear advice. This quotation from one of the lowest achieving students it's actually very dismal, painted a very dismal picture. He said, they didn't really give me that much help whether or not I should. They sort of left that more up to me. I knew I did really bad, so I just wanted to retake them. But they were like, we're not sure what to tell you. They didn't really know what to say. Yeah, but it wasn't like we had a massive meeting and they told me that everything is going to be all right. Now, this next one is about revision. Again, I was taken by surprise when I talked to the students about how they prepared for the receipt. I was thinking more like, do you revise everything or do you concentrate on you know, the parts of the units where you were weak at? The answer, uh, was, you know, like this first one was uh, uh, the teacher's comment. It's more like trying to box clever. And there were a few students who talked like that. I'll give you an example. This student, um, he has an AS reset in January and an A2 unit to take in January. He said to me, well, if I spend equal efforts in both of them, let's say I got a B in both of them, I will probably reset both of them in June. So if I you know, focus my energy on the AS reset, and since the A2 unit is new, if I got a C and I got an A in the AS unit, then I only have one to reset in June. Now, that's the kind of logic, you know, the revision tactics. Apart from the, that, um, there are other tactics like they only revise three out of four, you know, or, or they only revise what uh, the teacher said will come up. Not everything, you know. It's anyway. I asked the students to tell me what they know, what their understanding of a modular approach is with the reset opportunities, and they gave me various versions. But this one is very typical. He said, basically, your brain sort of goes from one subject to the next and basically sort of use all the information, dump that. Use the next sort of information, get rid of that. So you've got, just got to learn like the next part of the syllabus and then do all those modules and do the retakes if you need to. Now, if that is not surface approach to learning, I don't know what is. 
This second quotation is actually from a, quite a good student, one of the strongest students. She got A's in her results. She said, you know, basically, I revised so much, and then after I'd done the exam, a couple of weeks later, I just went, I'd forgotten everything. Now, this learning to forget attitude or consequence is definitely observed by the university admissions tutors, and I'll come to that later. This fifth, fifth one is concerns more about awarding bodies, I suppose. It's about exam transparencies. These days, awarding bodies all publish their exam requirements, past papers, mark schemes, etc. And I'm all for it. I'm for exam transparency. I've been through the days when public examinations were shrouded in secrecy. It's a secret society, you know, and, and so on. I think it's fairer, much fairer, to have exam transparency. To me, the issue is not so much about openness in accessibility, but how students make use of their information, particularly when not guided. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples how the students use the, make use of the documents. This first one. For biology, you can go through past papers because the same question will come up again and again, and just remember the answer from that, rather than actually learning from a book. So they make use of the marking schemes like model answers, you know, but without the guidance of the teachers, they may not understand the link between the question and why are these answers correct or applicable. They would have to interpret them themselves. Like this next one, I did worse in the receipt. I revised so much, but some of the questions that came up this time, I haven't seen them before. I was like, what's that? Got really stressed. She was expecting sympathy from me, I think. Um, so the danger is they, they, they revise using past papers and mark schemes. They say, oh, I see this question similar without reading the context of the question, right? And they just gave you the same answer. The third one I, I really like, this, this um, boy, I call them boys, mark scheme of classic, like essay question. They're, really, they're very vague because they say, make sure the students demonstrate a certain amount of knowledge or done the details. And he said to me, okay, what does that mean? Now, sometimes, actually, I think a, mar- a marking scheme which is a little bit vague is not too bad because then they can't just use it as model answer. They have to think. They have to make reference to the books or something. But obviously, with awarding bodies, our concern also is with consistency of, of standards of marking. You have to make sure that your examiners get it right too. You know? that's, a, that's the um, trick. That's the striking the balance. Now, um, we know that high-stick examinations can influence instructions in classrooms. There have been loads of research about that. And it can be can, um, affected in a positive way and a negative way. Positively, it can lead to increasing emphasis on teaching on specific skills. Now, I think, like, back in 1970s, I think the UK examinations were, you know, focused more on um, um, content. So as a consequence of that, students learn more about sort of, you know, just information recall. These days, exam bodies have done a much, much better job, a very good job in assessing different skills, writing, evaluation, communication skills. You always have to think ahead, you know, to try to see what kind of assessment you should do. But the negative side of that is teaching can still be very narrow and instruction-focused. And 
I'll give you a couple of examples of what the students, how they, you know, they, they, they learn, so to speak. Like this one, the business, they want to see that you have read this case study, right? It's case study evaluation. So you have to take examples of that and then you build your argument to a certain point and you say, this could happen, that could happen. And then she said to me, this is what they call the pendulum approach, okay? Now this second quotation is not as enthusiastic, She's talking about essay writing. She said, you know, you have the introduction and then you have to state all your factors, state your arguments, and then you have to link in the title and the arguments. And the same with every essay. She said, the skills you learn from doing two years of history. Now, um, research has shown that assessment procedures can come to completely dominate learning experience and weaken the development of learner autonomy. I think Harry Torrance calls it assessment as learning, right? But this is nothing new. I mean, you know, back in the 1990s, people like Caroline Gibbs would say to us that drill and practice instruction deny students the opportunity to develop thinking skills and so on. With the receipts, um, the situation is worsened because of the overemphasis on exams. The first quotation here, purple one, is from college supervisor, um, sorry, it's from admissions tutors. She said, transparency is good as a general principle, but there is a danger of things becoming too narrow in what students only focus their learning, what we know, right? So the final is about the unnecessary resist. Some resist can be avoided, you know, if students had a uh, a more positive attitude, and others, you know, do, do better by taking the exams later. And then still, there's some resist, you know, when the students already got A grades, results. And all these are not necessary. And it's because of the selections. I'll, I'll come to that later. Unnecessary resists are a waste of time, money, and resources. It's not just for the students, but also for exam administration. And I know, running examinations are not cheap. It, it, it is expensive, involving a lot of people, resources, and so on. But just to think that all these unnecessary receipts, if the money has gone back into teaching and learning, I think the effect, uh, the outcome could be more productive. I like this quotation from Despontent in her uh, Times article in 2006. She talked about unnecessary receipts. At the end, she said, thus, the serendipity and excitement, the passion and joy of sixth-form learning has disappeared, and teaching is almost entirely driven by examinations. So what do A-levels stand for? What are the implications, and how do resits feature in that? A-levels, as we all know, are subject qualifications. It's not about the curriculum. There's no <coughs> curriculum. It's subject qualifications. To many, they are de facto university entrance examinations is a means to an end. It's all about grades for university. The students in the study certainly saw sixth form just a stage before university. It's all about getting the A-level results to get into university. Now, um, Hoxton and Spur um, said, you know, the aims of uh, English education seem to be very narrow. There's no clear vision, and it's designed largely to raise educational participation and performance. Nutfield Foundation did a review of the 40, um, 14 to 19 education and training. They asked this question. I, I made a typo here. What counts as an educated 19-year-old in this day and age? That was the question. 
and they listed a number of qualities like knowledge, competence, practical capabilities, moral seriousness, and so on. Obviously, not all qualities can be or are tested in A-levels. <coughs> we can't you know, do everything. But it's also wrong to assume, for, the, for teachers and schools to assume that what cannot be tested is not important. Um, so the result is there's a focus on exams and other educational aspects are largely ignored and the situation is definitely not helped by the research culture. Um, this couple of examples, the first one, the teachers always say this is the way you have to do in exams and that can go on for a bit without really teaching. Okay? And they say that's how you should do it but they don't explain why. So it's all performance goals. This second one is actually from a, a, one of the top students uh, I interviewed. She's very motivated and she did a lot outside the uh, uh, requirements. She said the flaw in the system is you can go the extra mile, being self-motivated, independent in your learning and research and have nothing to show for it. Um, similarly, you know, a comment from one of the admissions tutors. Now, receipts is sometimes likened to taking a driving test, right? They say, you know, in driving test, you can redo a driving test. Why can't you resit? Um, so as long as you show your uh, knowledge and skills, you know, it's all right. The difference is a driving test is a very typical attainment test. It's not there to, to select us. As long as we got the license, we are trusted to drive in public roads. But imagine if the driving test were to select um, some of us for a higher level of driving, let's say Grand Prix driving. I doubt very much those of us who have failed, who, had, who needed a lot of attempts to get your license would be considered favorably. Similarly, receipts can be seen as giving some candidates an unfair advantage. I asked the uh, admissions tutors you know, how they view results you know, which were obtained through receipts. This is one of the comments. She, he said, it's still an achievement, but in the light of the massive competition, so many people are fighting to get in, that one speck on the horizon, you had it. So it's not a reflection of the candidate, okay? It's a reflection of the intensity of the competition. He's a, a missions tutor for medicine. Wouldn't tell you which university, of course, but he said he's not, he, he does not consider resitters in, in the applications. The other mission students do, but they also want to know why you have to resit. I think increasingly universities want to know more about resit information. Now, these days, selection needs, uh, university offers are still made you know, based on three A-levels. UCAS is a point system, but you just have to check the university entrance rep, uh, I mean, university websites about their entrance requirements. A lot of them still expressed in terms of three A-level grades. And, of course, universities, you know, there's no alternative. The, the admissions tutors um, said, my impression was that, you know, you have no other uh, resources, so you have to trust the ranking. Um, like this quotation, with the public accountability issue, you will have to put in a lot of evidence to justify giving the place to somebody with a B instead of one with an A. And universities simply don't have the time to test large number of candidates. And if you ask university to do that, that he said, what are these exams for? Um, 
these days, of course, we know it's a, still a um, conditional office system. It's about predicted grades, and we know predicted grades are not always reliable, you know, and all that, and resists are normally not mentioned. Uh, typically, colleges, they say that we don't certif certificate, that's the term they use, certificate intermediate AS results. So we, we tell our students to put pending in the, on, on the application about these results. Um, a recent survey suggests that A-levels are not preparing students well for universities. Teaching teach too much of the exam and students focus on resetting exams. Um, the admissions tutors were not happy with the, a with the quality of the students based on the A-level results. Like this first one, I don't think A-levels are very good foundation at all for university. The teaching is very much the assessment criteria. It's not about the deep learning. And she said... She has to revise the first-year course, devise the first-year course that helps bring people to where they want them to be. This next one, they come in with a much more exam-oriented focus now. They don't want to know about the subject. They all only want to know if it's going to be in the exam. It's more about exam emphasis and modular and resit. And the other thing is, they will turn up forgotten everything. It's unfortunate, but it's true. So this is the learn-to-forget attitude. The consequence that's pointed out by one of the admissions tutors is there's a high dropout rate if the quality is not good or uh, somewhere there, the quality of university education will be compromised. Okay, the way I analyse this relationship between sixth form and the A-levels and university is not a linear uh, relationship. It's not like you do the sixth form and then A-levels is the bridge between the two, between sixth form and university is actually a cyclical relationship. Let me start from here. Now, A-level is used as a chief selection tool, right? So certification and education roads are sidelined. And then because of the competitiveness in emissions, then A-level results are very important. And this results in teaching to the exam and overuse of receipts. Now, the consequence of that is that students will focus on receipt strategies performance goals and service learning. And these you know, are not um, conducive to producing the qualities you want you know, for students uh, in university. So they lack the qualities and university need to spend extra resources to bring them up to standard. And then, lacking resources to run their own test, university rely largely on A-levels for selection. And then it goes back to A-levels being used as the chief selection tools. Now, these days, not a lot of universities interview, apparently, I talk, you know, the, according to the uh, colleges. And you, you just look at the websites of universities, see whether they interview. A lot of them don't, including some of the, um, you know, we'll say, uh, top universities. Um, anyway, so, but one thing about this cyclical relationship, though, a lot of it is nothing to do with receipts. If you take receipts out, it's still there, right? You know, they still teach the exam. It has been like that for, you know, decades. And the students still focus on performance goals and so on. But certainly I think receipts have made it worse. It's much worse because of the over-exam focus. Um, very briefly about the relations between receipts and students' learning career. Um, I asked the students when I first met them, you know, um, you know, please describe me. What kind of a student are you? 
Now, to me, it's, it's a simple question. Is there something about research? You think it's simple. No, the students, they don't. They say, some of them say, what do you want to know? What do you mean? But anyway, the, uh, most of the answers they gave me were more to do with how diligent or how working or how lazy they are. You know, They're all in terms of exam results. They see themselves defined entirely by success or failure in A-levels. Like one of the students said to me, well, I'm not really a grade A student, but I can still think outside the box. Okay. Anyway, um, the, um, the outcome of my analysis is that um, students with high self-esteem and high self-efficacy tend to handle failure more positively, and they face the challenge of resist through this process. Now, obviously, they did not tell me that uh, I, I'm, I would identify the coursework and I do this and do that. That's the result of my analysis, right? So this is the positive way to approach resist. They, you identify the course, the reason for your underperformance, maybe is a gap in your knowledge, maybe you don't understand the assessment criteria and so on, and then you actually have to ask for help. Remember earlier I said, you know, resist, you know, it's not a lot of help. Students have to ask for help. And also, the student-teacher relationship is changed from GCSEs. The power shifted slightly to the students. The students, you know, are more, you know, ask for help more voluntarily instead of the teachers just giving directions or instructions all the time. And then, of course, the students have to make an effort to achieve the desired outcome. That's self-regulation for you. Um, but... In contrary, the students with low self-esteem and low self-efficacy are more likely to face failure negatively. They treat resist as convenient second chances without knowing what they need to improve. They just say, okay, I'll resist. Hopefully, I can get a better result. They're more likely to fail, and the resist experience tends to weaken their self-confidence in future learning by the pressure of repeated failure. And unfortunately, now, I, I said self-esteem and self-efficacy does not necessarily have everything to do with ability. Some of the students with average ability may still belong to the first group. But a lot of them, even the students with, you know, sort of like good results, they may not have a, 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 a very positive uh, approach to resist. Generally, when I talk to other people, uh, particularly those not involved so much in assessment or education about resit, straight away they say, oh, resit, you can resit in exam, so it helps the uh, lower achievers, you know, those who fail to pass exam. But my findings certainly find that the lower achievers do not always benefit from the resit process. To start with, they tend to receive less advice. They're more likely to follow the herd instinct. Um, the early examinations definitely do not help them because, you know, they, they uh, failed to learn the unit properly because the teaching was rushed. And then afterwards, they got no help in the receipts, okay? Um, the, they generally lack the confidence to approach the stu uh, teachers for this extra help in preparation for the receipts. And then learning the A2 actually you know, does not always help them. It helps other students, but for the lower achievers, they told me it's actually sometimes confusing. They have to learn the more difficult A2, at the same time they have to revise for the AS. Maybe, you know, they don't see the connection so much as the other students. And they're more likely to misinterpret the exam requirements when giving past papers to do on their own. 
And finally, the exam pressure, you know, in resist, the experience will likely worsen their self-confidence because of a failure of failing again, of the, um, because of fear of failing again. Summary. In summary, um, I, you know, I said a lot, but I'm just listing uh, roughly. Resist an extra decision for sixth form students. To me, this is quite important because sixth form is a very critical stage. You read in a, a lot uh, about other research or, or, or you know, uh, can, um, people talking about sixth form students. It's a, they have a lot of decisions to make. They have to first decide which subjects, they have to first decide which route they go for and, you know, all that. Resist an ex- extra decision for them. And generally, they do not understand the rationale behind it. And then this positive approach is not normally mentioned. Instead, they, they focus on playing to the system and trying to make full use of the system, and like resist strategies and revision tactics and so on. And then there's no control resists, and many resists are necessary. Uh, resists are optional, so students are left pretty much to do their own revision, and then there's no guidance on the use of exam documents. And mainly... The effect on student learning is that you have this extrinsic awards, motivation by extrinsic awards only, and the performance goals, surface learning, and the second chance mentality. And all these are not the qualities you look for in university or indeed in lifelong learning. And then, of course, the exam culture in sixth form um, worsened by the presence of receipts. So I leave you with the conclusion here. I'll read it. Despite the general perception that resists make life easier for sixth form students, only those who adopt a positive approach to resists, have help from their teachers and work hard to improve their learning and skills will gain from the system. But for the majority, the resist system has resulted in a second chance mentality and a deterioration in learning attitudes. We do not prepare them well for university or lifelong learning. In particular, and I think this is very important, to me anyway, the finding, lower achievers tend not to benefit from the system against what general perception is, due both to their lack of self-esteem and self-efficacy and also the less than sufficient help and support from the teachers. Now, this is the findings. I, I don't know, you know, for those maybe from the school sector, whether that, you, know, you find similar findings or you say, no, 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 this is not happening so I'm quite happy to hear your views. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is a podcast from Cambridge Assessment. For more downloads, visit cambridgeassessment.org.uk.